I am Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. Glad you decided to tune in today. Boy, a lot to talk about, especially when you look at what's going on in the financial markets, particularly stocks. As I'm recording this, several days before the program airs, we are now in bear market territory. You know, there's a couple of quotes that I dug up to share with you on today's program. The first comes from Irving Fisher. Mr. Fisher was a Ph.D. in economics, and on October 17, 1929, this is what he said. Stock prices have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. I do not feel there will be soon, if ever, a 50 or 60 point break from present levels such as bears have predicted. I expect to see the stock market a good deal higher within a few months. Of course, it was a matter of days before a rather severe decline in stocks began. Now, let me turn the clock ahead to February 28, 2020. Larry Kudlow, who is the National Economic Council Director, said this, Stocks look pretty cheap to me. And we all know, especially if you have money in stocks, what's happened since that quote actually was made. Now, I'm here to tell you on today's program that nobody cares as much about your money as you. Not your broker, not your financial advisor. No one cares as much about your money as you do. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, I bring this up, as longtime listeners know, we are all about education. So I bring this up to give you a bit of education today. Because for a very long time, I have been saying that we have to see a correction in stocks. Now, why have I been so convinced and so convicted that that has to be the case? Well, we have been living in what I like to call an artificial investing environment. The Fed, since the financial crisis, has been creating money. Interest rates have been artificially low. And whenever money is created, history tells us that things have to end badly. Joining me on today's program is Mr. Alistair McLeod. Alistair is the head of research at Gold Money, and I caught up with him this past week uh, as the Dow was declining over 2,000 points in a day. Mr. McLeod and I had a conversation back in September when we said that the Fed printing money to prop up the repo market, which had just started, would likely lead to a stock rally, but it couldn't rally forever. In fact, if you'd like to listen to that interview, you can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and go back to September of 2019 and listen to that interview. I'd encourage you to do that. Well, this artificial economy and driving stocks up artificially is really what I want to talk about in this segment. But I don't just want to talk about it. I want to give you some things that you might consider doing if you aspire to a comfortable, stress-free retirement someday. Now, there's been a lot of volatility in stocks, and as a result, 
investors have been flocking to what has been the traditional safe haven. When it hits the fan in the stock market, where do people go? They go to U.S. government bonds. And U.S. government bonds are now across the board. Across the entire yield curve, yields are less than 1%. This past Monday, the yield on the U.S. Treasury dropped below 1%. Now, this in and of itself is irrational. This in and of itself is artificial. Think about this. Who in their right mind is going to loan the U.S. government money for 30 years and get less than a 1% return? The answer is no one. So we have a couple bubbles here. We had a stock bubble, but now we have a bubble forming in bonds. And for those of you that may not be familiar with how bonds work, how prices and yields on bonds are related, as the price of bonds go up, as the bonds that you're holding appreciate in value, yields are declining. And as bonds decline in value, yields go up. Well, this artificial environment has driven yields to historically low levels. And because they're approaching zero, possibly even going negative, I've gone on record here uh, on the program predicting that by election time, we would likely see negative rates. And I still think that's likely going to be the case. But once rates get to this level, they simply can't go that much lower, which means that the price of bonds have to decline. So think about what you're investing in if you have a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA with a Wall Street-only type advisor. And what I mean when I say Wall Street-only type advisor, I don't mean to paint all advisors with a broad brush, because that's certainly not the case. But there is a certain category of financial professional that will recommend that you invest in stocks and bonds with your money. The idea being that historically speaking, when stocks decline, bonds go up. And when bonds decline, stocks appreciate. They tend to have an inverse relationship. I think when you look at the evidence today, it's obvious that that will not be the case this time. And I'll talk more about this with Alistair McLeod in the next segment. And by the way, we talk about all this and give you strategies to consider at our educational events. And if you'd like to learn about our next educational event, go to socialsecuritydinner.com, socialsecuritydinner.com, and you can get more information. Uh, We don't talk only about social security maximization. We talk about retirement income planning and divorcing yourself from the IRS and your IRA. So if you've not yet attended one of our events, I would encourage you to do that. So what do I mean by artificial investing environment? Well, as money is created, there is a devaluation of that money. It doesn't purchase as much. Now, if you look at the official inflation rate, the official inflation rate was just over 2% last year. Well, if you've been to the grocery store, if you've been to the car dealer, if you've been to the doctor's office, you know that that inflation rate is obviously not very accurate. In fact, if you look at shadowstats.com, a website run by Mr. John Williams, an economist, 
Uh, he tracks the inflation rate using methodologies that used to be uh, used by the, the government to calculate the inflation rate. And not surprisingly, those calculation methodologies have changed to make the actual inflation rate look more favorable over time. Uh, the Chapwood Index is another independent agency that tracks uh, the inflation rate. They will tell you that it's closer to 10%. Well, as money is created, as we have real inflation at the grocery store and the doctor's office and the car dealer, we also have real inflation in stocks. And that's what I want to talk about in the last segment of today's program. I want to talk about what effect this money creation has on the value of stocks. And then I'm going to give you a tool that you can use to see the real return. Well, how do you calculate the real return? Well, I call that the wallet effect. The real return, if you're getting a real positive return, you'll feel it in your wallet. You'll gain in purchasing power. But that's not what this feels like. So I'd like to, as I close this segment, invite you to check out our resources. I just mentioned our educational events. You can go to socialsecuritydinner.com and sign up for one of our educational events. You can also go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and not only listen to the conversation that I had with Alistair McLeod six months ago that really talked a lot about what we're seeing being played out now in the financial markets, but there's also additional resources there. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, Portfolio Watch. It's delivered once a week. Um, we give you updates on what's going on in the market. So I would encourage you to take advantage of all these resources. I will be back after these words with my special guest today, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Welcome back to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting today with Mr. Alistair McLeod. Uh, Alistair is the head of research at Gold Money. The website is goldmoney.com. And we're recording this interview just uh, about five days before it actually airs. And uh, Alistair is talking to me from Devon, which is in the west of England. And uh, Alistair, welcome back to the program. That's my pleasure, Dennis. So Alistair, uh, you were on in September. So let's just say about six months ago, at the time, uh, the Fed had just started to inject liquidity, or should we say prop up the repo market, which is the overnight lending market between banks. And at the time, uh, we had discussed the fact that that would likely be bullish for gold. And uh, I guess uh, you look pretty smart now because that's exactly what's happened. So what do you make of What's going on now uh, in the financial markets, particularly the stock markets? We have had uh, an absolute bloodbath here over the last couple of weeks. Yes, I, I think um, th th there are a number of factors. Um, I think the first thing I'd like to say is that uh, following the um, uh, restart, if you like, of the Fed extending um, its uh, credit through the repo market into money markets, um, that has actually increased now. And the reason it is increasing, uh, I believe, is because you're getting payment failures in uh, the various production chains. I mean, for example, if you have someone like Microsoft uh, with um, people uh, producing components in China, in Taiwan, and in Korea, you will find that there are disruptions in the production chain. The chain doesn't work, and you end up with people... Um, the, uh, 
businesses having the costs, if you like, without the income coming in. So they're drawing down on their overdraft facilities at the banks and where they've got cash in the bank, they're drawing down on that. And that is being increasingly um, reflected in uh, uh, the bank's uh, need for more liquidity, if you like, so that they don't end up foreclosing on these customers. And uh, so I think um, in the last few days, we have seen uh, the repo market begin to uh, increase the amount being repoed from a sort of I don't know, 40, 50 billion a day. We're now over 100 billion a day uh, being injected into the money markets just to keep interest rates down where they are. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is that the markets have, I think, finally begun to understand that this um, coronavirus problem is not going to be a sort of a V-shaped recession, you know, sort of everything will return to normal once... um, this wave of, of uh, infection has passed. I think people are beginning to realize that this is actually very serious and it's undermining businesses to the point where there will be bankruptcies. And um, uh, the question then is, what can the, um, if you like, the authorities do to stop it? And the conclusion basically is not a lot. If anything, it's going to get worse. And I think that's hit sentiment in stock markets. And of course, the money has flooded out of stocks into bonds. And government bonds, as of today, are, you know, if you look at the U.S. Treasuries, they are all now yielding out, even to 30 years, less than 1%. The 10-year bond is yielding just over half a percent. And if I look at the, the Treasury bill, that's yielding one-third of 1%. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. And that tells us that the Fed is going to have to cut rates again because uh, the prime uh, brokers who hold inventories of T-bills fund that from the Fed funds rate. Of course, the Fed funds rate is now now way above the yield on the T-bills. So uh, unless uh, the Fed cuts interest rates again, I think this is likely to begin to disrupt uh, government funding, uh, which, as we all know, is running at quite a pace. So really, um, a number of things have come together. And, of course, the other thing that people are mentioning is this uh, sudden decision by Russia not to work with OPEC to contain oil production. Uh, And they've decided, um, and this is what we're told, to really um, go for it and uh, take out the shale producers in America. So you can see that, you know, all these things coming together, it all looks very, very uncertain and very, very nasty. So, Alistair, uh, when, you, when you take a look at what, just looking at United States stocks, uh, taking a look at the valuations, uh, you know, we've we've been talking on the program here for, you know, a year and a half that the stocks are really overvalued. Um, is coronavirus just the, the, the black swan event that's driving markets lower? I mean, wasn't this stock market activity really inevitable given valuations? I think you raise a very good point. Um, Certainly, uh, this coronavirus is a black swan event. But the underlying situation is that we were running towards the end of the credit cycle. And also bear in mind that um, President Trump had been prosecuting a trade war against China, uh, raising tariffs. Now, this is the last time this actually happened with a combination of the top of the trade cycle and uh, the introduction of yet more tariffs, was 1929, when the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act came in. 
Now, uh, we know what happened in 1929. So those with a long memory sitting on stocks in the current market, I think would be extremely worried about uh, the similarities between then and now. And then, of course, along comes the coronavirus, and that really does remove any doubt that things are not over, not only very overvalued, but like to fall, likely to fall very, very significantly in probably quite a short period of time. So, Alistair, when, uh, just to go back to something you said, uh, that the Fed's going to be forced to cut interest rates again, uh, you know, we've talked here on the program that uh, here in the United States, we would not be surprised that, you know, if by election time we have negative interest rates like much of the rest of the world has, and uh, we may even see helicopter money. Uh, what's your opinion? Well, um, helicopter money is coming in various forms um, in Hong Kong. They've uh, um, agreed in the budget to issue 10,000 Hong Kong dollars to each person there. Um, you could argue that uh, the amount of money that is being thrown into dealing with coronavirus and um, subsidizing companies um, so that they don't lay off people, um, uh, subsidizing people by uh, um, ensuring that if they are laid off, instead of being paid um, in with a gap of sort of three or four days um they're paid immediately uh, this this is this is uh, all different forms of helicopter money if you like so yes that is happening but probably not quite in the purest sense if you like of it being dropped from a helicopter and <laughs> th th there is no doubt um that the expansion of the quantity of money to deal with these problems is going to be pretty well infinite and i think that when markets begin to actually think this through rationally, they will realize that government bonds are wildly overvalued and they're not the safe haven, which everybody has just sort of immediately jumped for. Um, you know, so I think, I think equity investors who have sold equities and gone into bonds have really jumped out of the frying pan into the fire or will, or will be proved to have done so <laughs> in not... In not uh, very much, um, uh, in, in not very much time, I think uh, I think that situation could well reverse within the next week or so. So, Alistair, when you say this expansion of money appears to be infinite, uh, what is the end game? I think it was the late economist Herbert Stein who said something: if something cannot go on forever, it will stop. It strikes me that this falls into that category. So, so what does the end game look like in your view? Well, uh, I think I, the, the way I look at it I, I, is that I think that the face of uh, fiat currencies have been tied into maintaining inflation in financial asset prices. Now, the last time this happened, which is, is, is an interesting thought, was about 300 years ago when John Law went into France and put together a scheme which we now know as the Mississippi bubble. And the, the uh, elements of it were really quite simple, and that was that he set up a bank which issued its own money. Um, it then became equivalent of a central bank insofar as it changed its name from the general bank to the royal bank. In other words, it had royal patronage. And uh, he used the money which he printed, um, literally printed, to buy shares in his uh, uh, venture, which was, uh, if you like, the... It, it was um, called, we called it the Mississippi Company, but basically it, he had a total monopoly on all France's external trade. 
And uh, th we're talking about the last month of 1719, so almost three, well, just over 300 years ago. Now, what happened then was that he decided to merge the central bank, his Banque Royale, with the Mississippi Venture. And that went ahead in, on February the 28th, 1720. The problem was that just in the run-up to that, he was having to uh, uh, print quite a lot of money to buy shares, which basically started to undermine the purchasing power of his livre, which was the currency that he was issuing. Um, the uh, shares of this joint venture basically peaked um, in January uh, just ahead of the merger with the bank at around about 12,000 livre. Uh, the, the, you then had a black swan event, which is rather like our cor cor uh, coronavirus, in that uh, the king decided to sell some shares uh, just at the time the whole thing was being merged. And it was agreed that he would sell 100,000 shares at 9,000 livres each. Now, that, I think, rang the bell for everything. Uh, the problem then was that the shares then started declining. And as they declined, they went down to a price of around about 2,000 livres by the following September, September 1720. But the livres in which they were priced were worthless. There was no exchange value with the British uh, with with with, with uh, the British pound. So you can see that, you know, the the, the ramp, as it were, was uh, both currency plus assets, and uh, the collapse was both currency and assets. The whole scheme fell over. And if you look at the dynamics of the current situation, uh, just change the name from John Law to John Maynard Keynes and you get the same sort of flavor. It's taken a lot longer for this to build up, but you can see the danger that a collapse in financial asset prices because of the effect on government finances and everything else is likely to collapse the purchasing power of the dollar as well. And this obviously um, is very, very hard for people to, um, if you like, avoid getting hurt by. Uh, the only thing they can really do is retreat into sound money. But sound money in the form of gold and silver, and I'm talking about physical gold and silver, is not an asset which an investment manager can buy easily because he's got to persuade his compliance officer the reasons for buying an unregulated investment. So, <laughs> you know, it's almost as if the whole of the investment management industry uh, is going to have, really, I think, almost a, a terminal event, both currencies and financial assets. And in that, I would also include uh, futures, options, and all the rest of it, and um, uh, index tracking funds, uh, funds which track commodity prices, and so on and so forth, because they do not represent actual ownership of, uh, of, of, of an underlying asset. So it seems to me that the dangers in this situation are really very, very great for investors. Well, our guest today is Mr. Alistair McLeod. Alistair is the head of research at Gold Money. Uh, you can learn more about Gold Money at goldmoney.com. Uh, I can't believe, uh, Alistair, how fast 14 minutes goes, but it went by quickly. The good news is Alistair will join me after these words when our LA Radio returns. Stay with us. I am Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio, and I am uh, having a conversation today with Mr. Alistair McLeod. Uh, Alistair is the head of research at Gold Money. 
the website is goldmoney.com. And Alistair, I think for our uh, maybe some of our newer listeners, uh, many years ago I interviewed uh, James Turk, who has a connection with Gold Money, a uh, pretty strong one actually. Uh, would you like to explain a little bit about the company and, and, and what's Gold Money's mission? Yes, of course. I mean, James actually founded Gold Money uh, back in, I think it started in business about 2001, 2002. Um, And he's still with us. He's the lead director. Uh, Since then, uh, we merged, or rather we we were taken over by um, some very, very uh, shrewd uh, young guys uh, based in Toronto who set up a business called BitGold. And they've they changed that from BitGold to uh, Gold Money, so they rebranded themselves. And that's, so the, our chief executive is a guy called Roy Sabag, who's um, one of the brightest young men I've, I've met. Now, the company, we've got, I think, about one and a half million customers with about $2 billion worth of gold and silver in custody. And what we do is we store gold and silver for uh, our customers outside the banking system. And it's a pure custodial function. Function. It doesn't appear. It, 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 none of the, the none of the assets on, in custody appear on our balance sheet. Uh, so um, uh, this means that, let us say, an American um, customer, and we've got lots and lots of American customers, um, if they're worried about uh, a future a future um, president uh, passing an order to uh, sequester their gold. Uh, they can store it, say, in, in one of about 12 different um, uh, vaults around the world. I mean, from Canada, if you feel that you, <laughs> you'd like to sort of nip over the border, as it were, to uh, uh, Switzerland, to London, to um, Singapore, uh, and so on. And on our website, you can see the various uh, vaults where you can store uh, your, your gold, silver, and also platinum group metals. So that's what we do. And as well as that, we provide a facility for you to spend your gold because we we um, uh, know that gold is money rather than an investment. Eventually, you will spend it rather than sell it. Um, and uh, so we have a, a sort of MasterCard system which you can preload out of your account by selling however much metal you want to from time to time in order to uh, spend on the things that you would normally spend with a with a credit card or a debit card. So we we have the, the these debit cards which allow you to spend in a number of currencies: dollars, Canadian dollars, Swiss franc, euro, and obviously sterling. So that's basically what we do. Well, I appreciate that explanation. Now I'd like to go back to a comment you made before we uh, the clock told us we had to stop in the last segment. Uh, you had said that uh, after comparing the current uh, financial situation uh, to that of John Law's France 300 years ago, that you're expecting uh, that we will see something, you use the term terminal event. Uh, that's a pretty scary term. Can, can you describe what you think that's going to look like? Yes. Uh, basically, uh, uh, what, I, what I see is a situation which is very similar to what John Law uh, brought about with his Mississippi bubble, which basically bankrupted him, France, and anyone who got involved, and meant that any uh, shares in the Mississippi venture that they ended up with uh, were completely valueless. 
And uh, so that is a terminal event in the sense that uh, you might have bought some shares, you might have thought they've got some value, and eventually they have no value at all. Uh, if you look at the financial assets, and I, I'll, I'll draw your attention to, to uh, one very scary example. Look at the U.S. Treasuries. They currently yield all less than 1%. Then ask yourself, what is the rate of inflation in America? Now, officially, it's around about 2%, give or take. But if you go to the independent analysts, like uh, the Chapwood Index or shadowstats.com, they agree that the correct rate is closer to 10% and probably at this stage rising. So how should you value your U.S. treasuries? Do you value them on the basis that it's 2% and we're heading into a deflation and that means that you will take any yield you can? Or do you take note of a 10% inflation rate? I'm talking about price inflation. Uh, and uh, value your treasuries on the back of that. Do you then take into account the uh, almost certainty that as we get hit by this coronavirus, the amount of um, spending that the U.S. government is going to then be committed to is going to mean that the budget deficit increases substantially from the estimated $1.073 trillion uh, that the Congressional Budget Office last estimated the current year's budget deficit would be, it's likely to be running at almost twice that. And do you also take into account the fact that the foreigners already own, in terms of securities or the maturity of uh, more than one year, uh, around about $19.5 trillion worth, on top of which they have cash in the banks and short-term uh, interests like treasury bills and so on and so forth, and derivatives like swaps which amount to a further $5.5 which gives you around about $25 trillion worth of foreign-owned U.S. securities and money. And do you think that with the dollar falling, they're going to hang around? Do you think that uh, they might require to use that liquidity? In other words, sell U.S. treasuries in order to use dollars to support the supply chains that go through their countries, which have dollar problems, um, I would have thought that these are reasons which you've got to think about very, very carefully. And if you conclude, as I do, that it means that the dollar is going to be sold down in the foreign exchanges in order to raise liquidity, and that will make things far worse for the U.S. government, I can see a situation where the paper currency, the dollar, basically is on a terminal decline. And it's tied in with the assets and the principal asset. Everybody says that the safest asset in the world is U.S. Treasuries. We will find that as the currency slides, they're not. The currency is tied in with, the, with that false valuation, if you like, of U.S. Treasuries. And sooner or later, the market will test it and destroy the link. So I can see that this potentially, I mean, it, it, we, we hope it doesn't happen, but I can see the potential for um, a complete destruction, if you like, of the system that we have today compared with the system that John Law brought about and how that collapsed. I can see history repeating itself. So well, I'm sorry, go ahead. We should think about. 
Yeah, Alistair, and, and I've, I've, I've uh, maybe not to the extent you have, but certainly I've talked about John Law when I've done some speaking, and history does repeat itself. And it seems to me that after the financial system was destroyed, after the currency was destroyed, uh, that France went back to a hard money system. Do you see something similar happening this time around? Well, eventually that does happen, um, because when governments lose control over the money, the economy, or whatever, some sort of phoenix has got to arise from the ashes. Now, having said that, um, that probably only occurs after a period of considerable disruption. We hope that it doesn't last terribly long. I think that some countries, I mean, um, uh, extraordinarily enough, uh, countries like Russia, who have already understood the value of gold relative to the, to, to the dollar, could actually put their currency back onto some sort of gold standard. I think China could probably do the same. Um, I'm not too sure about America. I'm not too sure about the rest of us, because the rest of us are sold so much on the Keynesian idea that you can stimulate an economy, you can manage an economy, the money is the, is, is the business of the state and not ordinary people. The idea of going back on that, I think, intellectually, is going to be very, very difficult. It's going to take quite a, um, a U-turn, if you like, uh, in terms of intellectual thought. And atop, on top of that, of course, governments do not like the idea of having to give up power um, over, over, over the money. And with, with America having led the fight against gold ever since um, the gold standard was finally aban abandoned in August 1971, you can see that that is something that the Treasury is going to have to um, you know, do a real volt fast on. And hard to see how that can be done, um, if you like, in a blink of an eyelid, which is really what we need in order to, if you like, sort of, you know, bring money back into circulation, the money of people rather than the money of governments. So, Alistair, I've got about two minutes left in this segment. Um, if U.S. Treasuries are no longer going to be the safe haven, is it gold, silver? Uh, what is going to be the new safe haven moving ahead? Well, it's gold and silver, quite obviously. Um, and there is a possibility, which is um, a completely new, new thing, and we don't know whether it'll work or not, but um, some of the cryptocurrencies, and particularly Bitcoin, have got the characteristics of a sound money, even though it's only in electronic form. And I think there is a younger, more techie um, population who might um, go for that as an alternative to state currency, which can be issued in ever-increasing quantities. Well, our guest today has been Mr. Alistair McLeod. Alistair is head of research at Gold Money. I would encourage you to check out the company's website at goldmoney.com. Alistair, always a pleasure to have you on today. I certainly appreciate you taking some time late in your day to join us. Very much my pleasure, Dennis. We will return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to Mr. Alistair McLeod for joining us today from the west side of England. Always enjoyed chatting with Alistair. You know, I was talking today in the first segment, and, and I made a point that nobody cares as much about your money as you do. And to that end, I talked a bit about the artificial investing economy in which we find ourselves today. And all this money creation by the Federal Reserve has really created an artificial investing economy. Now, let me talk just a little bit about 
the numbers in the market from about a week ago. And um, I put these in my blog, uh, which you can go to Dennis Tubergen blog if you'd like to, to read the blog entries. Uh, so let me just share with you a little bit from the blog because it makes the point. When you take a look at the value of the Dow measured in dollars, you'll find that the Dow will increase on a nominal basis, meaning the numbers will go up as the dollar is devalued. Because the same price inflation you feel at the grocery store also drives up the price of stocks. Now, if you want a little better metric to use, if you want a little better measurement to use, when determining the value of stocks, I like to use the Dow to gold ratio. Now, if you're not familiar with the Dow to gold ratio, um, I thought it would be helpful in light of all the, the volatility in the markets if I just took a few minutes to explain this. Now, the Dow to gold ratio is a very simple calculation. You take the value of the Dow Jones Industrial Average in U.S. dollars, and you divide that by the cost of gold per ounce in U.S. dollars. Now, about a week ago, the Dow was at 25,864 and gold was at 1673. Since that time, the Dow has gone lower and gold has gone higher, which is consistent with my long-term forecast. Now, the trouble with measuring things in US dollars is that the value of US dollars is not constant. Over time, because of the easy money policies that we've talked about on today's program with Alistair McLeod and that I talked about in the first segment, dollars lose purchasing power, and as purchasing power is lost, costs and values rise at least nominally. Now, it's important to understand that nominally just means the numbers go up. However, we really are concerned about real terms. We want the pocketbook effect. So let's take a look at where the Dow to gold ratio is now compared to what it was at other market bottoms. Now on January 1, 2000, the Dow Jones Industrial Average stood at 16,700. When you compare that to the approximate value of the Dow today, one concludes that the Dow has increased about 55% in the last 20 years. But that increase, as I have been pointing out, is in nominal terms, not real terms. Since calendar year 2000, the U.S. dollar has lost a significant amount of purchasing power. I'll give you just a couple examples to make the point. In calendar year 2000, a base model Ford Mustang Coupe, this is not the one that you'd probably want to drive given a choice, but the base model was $17,190. Today, 20 years later, it retails for $26,670. That's an increase of 55%. The same exact increase in the value of the Dow. Now, I can look at food items like hamburger, and I'll find a very similar outcome. Now, let's take a look at gold prices over that 20-year time frame to make the point. In calendar year 2000, gold prices stood at $272 an ounce. 
That means that if a new Ford Mustang retailed for $17,190, you could have purchased a brand new Mustang with 63 ounces of gold. However, today, the same base model coupe version of this popular car could be purchased for about 16 ounces of gold. So in other words, the amount of gold that would buy Ford, one Ford Mustang in 2000 today buys between three and four. I could do the same thing when I look at the price of hamburger. In calendar year 2000, an ounce of gold purchased 184 pounds of hamburger. Today, the same ounce of gold buys 454 pounds. See, since an ounce of gold never changes, unlike U.S. dollars, it's a better metric to use when determining real prices. So what about stocks? Well, there are a lot of different sources out there, including my Portfolio Watch newsletter. And if you're not yet a subscriber, go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and sign up for the weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter. It's free. It's delivered to your email once a week. And trust me, we will not pound your email with all kinds of offers. You will simply get the newsletter once per week. Well, in 2000, calendar year 2000, an investor could buy the entire Dow for about 40 ounces of gold. Today, it takes only about 15 ounces. Here's the point. Measured in terms of U.S. dollars, asset values and consumer prices have been rising. Measured in real terms, because an ounce of gold doesn't change, they have been declining. You could make the same measurement by looking at gross domestic product. Gross domestic product is the economic output of the United States. In 2000, the economic output was $10.3 trillion. In 2019, it was $21.4 trillion. That is better than double. But let's look at it in real terms. In 2000, economic output measured in ounces of gold was 37.9 billion ounces. Last year, the output was 16.85 billion gold ounces. My point is this. Money creation creates prosperity illusions. Unless some of you listeners think this is a political rant, it is not. I'm using a 20-year time frame very intentionally. So in real terms, we're in a deflationary environment because gold, which has been money for 5,000 years, is buying more. That's deflation. In nominal terms, we are in an inflationary environment. What that means is storing some of your wealth in tangible assets over the past two decades, has increased the purchasing power of that stored wealth. Storing your wealth in paper assets has seen purchasing power decline. Now, my forecast ultimately for the Dow to gold ratio, and I have been talking about this on the air here for a very long time, I expect that ratio to reach two or even one. In other words, I expect the Dow to be 10,000 and gold to be 5,000 or maybe even more extreme than that. Now, the Fed will continue to do what they can to fight back, but interest rates can't go a whole lot lower, but I believe that they will. I believe we'll see negative interest rates. As I mentioned with Alistair McLeod, I believe we'll see helicopter money. As he pointed out, we're already seeing it. 
So my thought for you today is to remember that nobody cares as much about your money as you do and educate yourself. We're here to help you get educated. Come to one of our educational events. You can sign up or learn more at socialsecuritydinner.com. You can also visit retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and listen to the podcast version of this program. And I'd encourage you to go back and check out the September show of last year with Alistair McLeod. You can also sign up for the Portfolio Watch newsletter at that website. And I publish a blog every week at DennisTubergenBlog.com. I'd encourage you to check that that out as well. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use. Tune in again next week.